Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. I almost hate to use the word educational. Charles Staley. Phil Stevens. I guess I'm kind of the, uh, the dark horse here. And Rob Fortress Fortney. But there really is no secret. Thanks for listening. Iron Radio is brought to you in part by www.bingcolorprint.com. Business cards, flyers, banners, postcards, DVD packages, and more can be found there. Occasionally you'll see Phil make a comment on our Iron Radio listeners page. That's not spam. That might be something that you can save at bingcolorprint.com. Thanks. All right, cool. We're all here. Welcome, uh, ironradio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm a nutrition professor and exercise physiology professor, and I'm a bodybuilding enthusiast. Hey, folks. Rob Fortress Fortney here, uh, editor, former editor of Muscle Money International, former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. Hey, this is Phil Stevens, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, strength coach, and just, uh, what else? Um, creator of liftforhope.org. There you go. Cool. Do you want to introduce the guest? or? Yeah, we can go go right into all your news we got, and then, then we'll go into that. All right, cool. I just wanted to make a couple of quick um, posts here or statements about some of the things that are going on. First of all, if you haven't been listening uh, to the end of the show, I've been trying to pepper in some different conferences and whatnot, and I'd like to expand that in the future, but... There's uh, some audio clips from Jonathan Mike about the American Society of Exercise Physiology meeting. There's an audio clip from Joey Antonio for the International Society of Sports Nutrition meeting, which is uh, next June in Vegas, which is also always a cool conference. I, you know, Phil, you've been there. Yeah. Uh, and then the other, only other thing I wanted to touch on quickly was just sort of uh, an update of, uh, you know, we'll call it tentative right now, but pretty solid. Uh, upcoming shows, and we haven't really done this a lot lately, but just as far as um, people coming on, next week we've got uh, Chris Shugart uh, from you know uh, testosterone.com fame. Uh, Chris is going to talk about uh, you know clever fasting, which I think is very interesting. I, I'm not usually a big fan of, of fasting. I know Mike Nelson talks about it a little bit, but we'll see what Chris has to say about that because Chris thinks about this kind of stuff constantly. So uh, if you're a Chris Shugart fan or a T-Mag or Testosterone.com or T-Muscle person, then Chris is a good one to listen to. He'll be on next Thursday. Um, today, of course, we have a guest listener. Uh, we've got Dan John. I just saw that, and I'm glad Phil lined up him uh, November 18th. So if you're a Danny John fan, I, I like listening to Coach Dan John. He's a, he's a good guy, a good head on his shoulders, lots of good ideas. November 18th for Dan John. Um we have Jeff Starling coming on December 2nd, and I know I'm just kind of jumping around. I'm just going up and down the Facebook page. So check out our Facebook page if you want to see who's coming on uh, when. We usually have a nice mix of scientists and, you know, coaches, athletes, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I've got Lane Norton coming on. Yeah. When is Lane going to be on? Uh, I don't see it here. Okay, right before Dan. Okay. And those of you who I'm sure most people know who Lane Norton is, but Lane's a, a natural bodybuilder. I believe he's a professional national body, natural bodybuilder. Um, he's my interest though is is in his scientific background and how he relates that to his bodybuilding. His, his the lab that he's been in there with Don Lehman 
fantastic stuff about leucine and protein synthesis. And so if you have any questions about leucine or, you know, why whey protein is good and, and, you know, those kinds of things for protein synthesis or leucine for dieting, I really want to pick Lane's brain about a lot of that stuff. So again, check out the Facebook page for a lot of that. And that's about all I got. Yeah. Um, then I will run right into this. What we got today, we, there's something we've been thinking about doing for a while and uh, had the opportunity to come up. So I just shot out a note to listeners and said, hey, give me a reason why you should be on the show to, you know, just pick our minds and ask us whatever you want. And uh, Dave, he, he put up a good response. So here he is. Um, Dave, thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah. So where do I begin? Give us a little background, yeah. Okay, I am 37 years old. I am from Oklahoma. Um, I was a fat kid uh, and turned into a fat adult. Uh, I was uh, probably 50 pounds overweight in the third grade. And uh, I think probably by the time I was 14, I was 5'2 and weighed about 240. So I uh, got picked on a lot of school, as you can you can imagine. Um, several times in my life, I've lost a bunch of weight, always gained it back. Uh, probably the best shape I ever got in was right around the time Bill Phillips was doing his uh, uh, Body for Life contest back in 96. Uh, I was a pretty big Muscle Media 2000 fan back then and got into serious training for the first time and went from 305 to 194 in about nine months. Ooh. Wow. And, uh, you know, gained some strength and, and really felt good about myself for the first time ever. Let all that slide, didn't didn't keep myself in shape, and uh, here a while back, I looked at the scale one day, and it said 400 pounds, and uh, that was a pretty big wake-up call. I still smoked at the time, and I remember I just went out to my front porch and smoked and paced back and forth like a caged animal. I was just absolutely shocked, and uh, once again, turned to uh, turned to training and, and uh, you know, kind of a, trying to adopt a bodybuilder mentality, and... Uh, since then, I have now lost 100 pounds and am about probably 40% through my transformation process, and I got a ton of questions. There you go. So that's where that I am now. Like that sounds like you're a great guest. Um, we're going to let you kind of take the reins here. So, I mean, you let it fly, and we'll all jump in. Okay. The number one thing that I've had an issue with is how to prioritize goals. Um, and I'll go ahead and say, uh, I did bring this up to Chris Shugart, and I'm glad you're going to have him on. I'm a big Chris Shugart fan. Um, you know, he kind of likened it to, okay, dude, you're overweight. You've, it's like there's a house that's on fire. We've got to put the fire out. It's great that you're trying to build strength and build muscle, but put the fire out first. And that made a lot of sense to me, and I wanted to get you guys' opinion on that. How much should I be focused on, or should I even phrase it, how upset should I be if strength isn't going up and up and up when I'm in a calorie deficit, when I'm trying to shed body fat? I mean, I started off when I started training this time. I had a deadlift of 205. Now I can do 275. That is not very impressive when I'm sitting here talking to guys like Phil, you know. <laughs> so what, what should be my mindset on that as I'm trying to, you know, get down to, to really low body fat levels for the first time in my life? Um. Uh, I want to jump in right away here and just say congratulations. Uh, 100 pounds is great. How long did that take? Um, basically, I started in August of last year, made good progress to the holidays, got very sick with an upper respiratory thing that curtailed my training for quite a while. I coughed for months. Uh, 
and yeah. couldn't do much. And then when that went back, I got back on track, and probably that represents about seven months of actual work. Okay. I would pay you, to put this in perspective, I'd pay you probably somewhere in the six-figure range if I could put 75 pounds on my deadlift in that amount of time. Uh, <laughs> and lose weight. So, I mean, strength is relative, and you've got to remember okay. that. Um, and as far as I, I, I'm in agreement with Chris, um, yeah, you need to lose weight. But, you know, I've been where you're at. I was 300 and some pounds and went down to 215 in a short amount of time. You're carrying around enough fuel on yourself that, right. you know, you're not actually in a calorie deficit because any deficit you're in, you're just drawing it off yourself. So, I mean, I think if you just train hard and concentrate on losing weight, you're going to get stronger. Now, no, you're not going to, you know, become, I don't know, Brad Gillingham overnight, but there's no reason I don't think that just concentrating on weight loss and training hard, you're going to continue to gain strength. Um, gotcha. I, I'd shoot for that first. You know what I might add, Let, if I can just add this, one of the first things I do, and I've spoken to groups and individuals and things like that with weight management, one of the first things I think is a good decision point is um, do you want a target date diet You know, where you want to be X percent fat or X pounds on the scale by a certain date You know, and then you sort of calculate a pound a week and that kind of thing and see what it takes to get you there? Almost like a pre-competition bodybuilder, you know? I mean, that's basically what I'm going to do. It's almost a countdown kind of thing, like a 20-week countdown. If that's your approach, then you normally – you'll see a lot of elite strength athletes, bodybuilders getting very strict or progressively strict. Like I like to do things like I start cutting carbs out of my dinners, you know, and then I'll, I'll move on and start doing other things. Everybody's different, and, you know, I'd be interested just to see how you ate to lose all the fat that you did, but – Anyway, there's the target date diet approach, or you can make the choice that, you know, what I call eating for the long haul or dieting for the long haul, which is, do I want to make, you know, maybe three behavioral decisions and stick with those for like two months? And once those are in place, I know my diet quality is better or, my, you know, it's meshed with my training better. Get that behavior down you know, what, what might be called a termination phase, then move on to three more, you know, little mini goals. And so that's kind of a, a choice that I usually encourage people to make. Are you talking about a target date diet, which you know is going to be more dramatic? I mean, think about Shugart, you know, and, you know, the, the velocity diet and that kind of stuff. I mean, Chris is no fool. He knows you can't drink most of your calories forever. But the point is, it's aggressive. It's a, you know, a flip a switch, go full bore or do you want to try to just enjoy your training, you know, enjoy food, but have some rules that you're working on, you know? So think about target date versus long haul. That would be my my sort of uh, suggestion. Well, I, I do have a deadline. Um, I'm going to be turning 40 in May of 2013. And I have some goals, and I kind of want to run these goals by you guys to see if they are reasonable goals and to see if I should modify these at all. Um, I would like at least one point in my life to get down to single-digit body fat. I know that's a tall order, but I'm carrying around fat that's really old and needs to go away at least <laughs> once. Um, so I would really like, here's my list of goals for May of 2013, the month that I'm going to turn 40, which is, you know, almost three years away. I want to hit 9% body fat. I want to have a 405 deadlift. 
I want to have a 135-pound overhead squat times 10. I want to have a 225 bench press. I'm only pressing about 180 right now for a max. I want to have a 135 military press. I want to do 10 body weight push-ups, 80 24-kilogram kettlebell snatches in five minutes, and an under one minute 400 dash. I would like to accomplish those things at some point during the month that I turned 40 years old. Yeah. Any of those are not reachable, honestly, in three years. Um, I really like the approach of, you know, it's, it's, what I tell people with goals is shoot high. I like setting a goal that almost sounds unreasonable. It's always right. worked for me. Um, and the neat thing is, is I, I end up always reaching the darn things and I make a new one. But, you know, I don't believe in just shooting low. Shoot high, find your point A, look at this point B, and then start mapping from there. Yeah, reverse mapping. Yep. And just you make all these little goals on the way, and it just gives you, if you've only got point A and point B, you get kind of lost in that in three years, and you start giving up on it. But if you've got 20 little things in between there, like if you know you need a one-minute 400-meter dash in three years from now, well, maybe next month you need a five-minute 400-meter dash. (laughs) <laughs> or something. You've got little goals along the way. Um, and you know I like make a ton of those little things. The more you can have, the better, and then you've got this thing to celebrate. I put a, an article on um, Charles, Sta- Charles Staley's site um, that's sort of a, a behavioral goal chart. It's a, it's, I just call it the arrow chart. And what it does is you can draw an arrow going up or an arrow going down, and you can do this for each one of the goals that you have. But what basically you do is you set that pie-in-the-sky goal at the very top of the arrow. You set your baseline at the bottom, and then you make this arrow a time frame. You know, if it's 12 months, you know, we'll just do we'll, – let's imagine it's 12 months for a minute. So at the six-month mark, you write down halfway to that pie-in-the-sky goal, you know. And then you, now that you cut your, your arrow in half, you cut the lower half in half, so you get a three-month mark. And then you cut the upper half in half. So you just keep cutting it in half, and you're, basically what it does is it gives you quarterly goals that you can reach for. And if you're not approaching that quarterly goal, if you didn't meet it, then something is not successful, and you need to change your strategy a little bit. You need to turn up the volume. If it's if it's leanness, then you know you might have to do some extra you know cardio or something, or you might have to pull a little bit more fat or carbs out of your diet or whatever it is. But I really like that sort of arrow chart and just cutting things in half, you know, repeatedly because it, it sets you up on a on a path, you know, that way three months into it, you know you're veering off course and you don't have to wait until you're 40 and be like, oh, crap, I completely blew it because you'll know way in advance. So I, I love that. I still use that little behavioral arrow chart even to this day. Um, another thing I would suggest is... Take those goals and find out which ones are more max strength goals and which ones are more strength endurance goals. And I would shoot to get those max strength goals and beat them, crush them, well before you're starting to get down to single-digit body fat. Um, Because that endurance is going to be a lot easier to do just from being lighter. You know, 10 push-ups, if we just got you down to single-digit body fat today, you'd probably knock out 20 or 30 push-ups just because you're carrying around 100 and some pounds less of you. Um, right. 
if you can get those max strength goals and then hold them and potentially grow on them a little bit in that time, you know, I prioritize prioritize those goals that way as well. I would think so too. If you're super lean, dude, it's going to be real hard to meet strength goals. I know Fortress was talking the other week about even injuries and stuff start to creep up. When you start, you know, restricting your intake a little bit and doing more cardio and stuff, yeah, don't set yourself up. I, li- I like that idea. Fortress, Fortress, what do you do with people who want to, you know, have a broad spectrum of goals like that? I think Phil's on the, the right tack with that. I apologize to my listeners here right now. I'm uh, pretty sick, so that's why I sound like crap. But anyway, um, I like what Phil was saying about, uh, I mean, if you, if you have strength goals uh, and then goals that are more geared towards, like like you were saying, like, uh, you know, endurance type thing, uh, prioritize the goals, you know, in synergy with, with, with your weight and your body fat dropping, definitely. Um, because it, to achieve them all at the same time might be a, a tall order, but um, in, this, in this other methodology, it, it'll be a lot uh, easy, more easily achievable. Easier that way to kind of, kind of you know, pick a few and, and, and focus on them and then have those goals beaten before time. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. the thing is, what's the old saying? You know, the man that chases two rabbits doesn't eat, or whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and you're trying to chase 14 of them, and they're all going right. to get you confused. So let's catch a few and hold on to them. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know. that makes sense. So. Um, and and well, how much is being still 130 pounds overweight – how much is that affecting my deadlift? How much is that affecting my squat? I would think it's affecting them a lot. Uh, I'd say it could very well be affecting your deadlift um, if yourself is getting in the way of the bar. I know guys that have, have lost deadlift, you know, poundages. Uh, a good good friend of mine, he ended up dropping about, he's 5'6", and, like, he was up to 315, and he's an elite powerlifter but his deadlift was was suffering a bit because he couldn't get around his own gut to get to the bar comfortably. Uh, well, yeah. So he I dropped a little that, weight. Yeah, yeah he, so he dropped a little weight and his deadlift came back up. He, I mean, the strength was there. It was just he couldn't get in the positions. Um, and, of course, you know, you know, a squat, you're having to stand up with yourself. So, right. I mean, body weight can help a lot in a squat um, with leverages and everything else to a point. Um yeah, so I mean, I'd say at this point for you, it's suffering. I mean, for someone like me, I can throw on twenty or thirty pounds, and it'll actually aid my squat. Um, You're twenty pounds functional. <laughs> well, even if right now, if I put on you know fifteen pounds of body fat overnight, it's going to help my squat. But it's still a bit wow. different, you know. I'm carrying around a, a lot of muscle. Um, but no, I'd say I'd say it's inhibiting you right now. Your your lips are going to go up just from from losing yourself. So right. Yeah, deadlift seems to be one of those exercises where sometimes losing weight can can fix your mechanics and leverages and actually help you. But yeah. again, it's kind of wow. what the weight is. Like Phil was saying, I mean, if it, if it's just like fat weight, yeah, it definitely can throw you off in your natural mechanics in that lift. But I mean, if it if it's muscle weight distributed properly, then it it, it should help. So. Yeah. Well, it's like when I when I deadlift, I, I'm really trying to uh, keep the scapula retracted and keep keep the arms back, shoulders back and when i do that let's just say that there's me in way of the bar when i stand yeah. up and so well, it's, just, it's not the mechanics aren't there 
Yeah, and you're likely having to reach. You're probably having to take a wider stance than you're needing to because your legs and your gut, and you're, which means you're having to take a wider grip, which means you're having to pick up the bar so many more inches, and you're having to get your shoulders down so much further. So, yeah, you're having an elongated pull. So, right. for sure, I mean, that's going to that's gonna aid itself as you go, too. That, that's really good to hear because uh, I've, my training partner is just 21 years old. And he has gone from 130 pounds to almost 200 in the same length of time that I've been on my transformation. And he's taken his deadlift from, you know, he was a lot weaker than me, and now he's deadlifting 460. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I tried to remind myself not to compete with him, but. Yeah. Right. You know, let me, um, just point out something. There's a couple of basic principles of training. And it's funny, Phil says, you know, chase two rabbits and don't eat. And I mean, at the same time, this sounds funny, but here's me thinking, you know, specificity principle, you know, which is essentially saying the same thing. But um, in this case, when you see someone really make dramatic gains, if they're young and they're at baseline, you know, there's a, a training principle, basically, you know, um, let's call it initial gains. And Fortress and I and Phil have all talked about this before. But when you're starting at zero, you know, on the improvement curve you just have a lot more genetic ceiling you know to make huge improvements and you can see young guys putting literally dozens of pounds on or even hundreds of pounds on on their lifts and stuff and if you if you're an intermediate you just don't have that much room you know so you're not going to have as dramatic uh, a rate of of improvement in some ways and i don't want to make excuses or anything but you know it's just something to consider you know a few other things to consider too is your training partner's age um, if he's quite a bit younger than you, that can mean a lot. Um, and his body weight and everything. I mean, you can't ignore the fact that, you know, if he's at a regular, healthy, so-called healthy body weight, and you're carrying around, you know, you were carrying around 200 pounds of extra, of extra weight, um, your insulin sensitivity is likely crap compared to his. Especially, yeah, age-wise, yeah. Yeah, and age-wise, your anabolic hormones are probably down in the basement. Growth hormone would be down, yeah. Yeah, just carrying all that extra body fat, your, your testosterone is probably repre- repressed a bit and and such. So that stuff's going to come around, too, as you continue to train hard, eat right, lose body fat. Awesome. Awesome. Well, what kind of training should I be doing at, at, at the moment when my, my first goal is to be getting the body fat down? Uh, what I've been doing is, uh, and of course, an EDT style, um, I'll basically do two serious weight training sessions a week. Uh, session A is a 15-minute PR zone where I just deadlift, and I try to hit a triple every 90 seconds for a total of 30 reps. And then my second PR zone will be uh, kettlebell cleans and reverse grip pulldowns. And then on my other weight training session, it is, uh, once again, a 15-minute PR zone of just doing front squats. Again, triple every 90 seconds. And then I do a 20-minute PR zone where I do bench press and then dumbbell row left and dumbbell row right. That is my, my you know, strength training right now. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good start. You know, I think one thing that could be mentioned that, you know, if you're, if you're still 100 and some pounds overweight and you're weighing over 300 pounds, it's a walk. <laughs> if you want to lose fat, just go out and walk. You moving yourself around. Is going to have you losing weight, um, and it's going to be—it's not going to kill your training. I would—I would just be mobile as much as you can. You know, if normally you sit down, stand up. If normally lay down, sit down. If you normally walk, jog. 
um, type of thing. Um, just that one more step of activity compared to laying down, compared to sitting down, is going to burn a little more calories. Right. You know, there's if you look at ironradio.org, uh, and again, just I, I don't want to sound like some cop out, but as a, sort of a disclaimer, the stuff that's on Iron Radio, or even our advice to you, you know, we're, we're doing this in a spirit of general information, of course, because there's so many things that go into a, setting up a workout for somebody or setting up a diet, but. If you're interested in some of the like calorie draining techniques is one of the articles that's in the article library on Iron Radio, you know, or there's an um, article I put up that I posted a couple of years ago called 100 Workouts, which is basically doing morning cardio, you know, in an effort to, uh, you know, just make some of those leanness types of um, progress. So anyway, you can check out the, the article library too. It's, it's the kind of thing because it's an audio website, a lot of people don't think about it, but – it's, we need to post more stuff, and there's a lot of good info in there. So the stuff that we're doing here verbally or the stuff that's written, you know, it's general info, but there's a lot to be to, to be kind of gleaned from it, I think. Cool. I do um, do um, – go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, other than that, I would start – I like EDT. It's going to help you move and, and burn fat and whatnot. Um, I would start pointing some of your training towards your goals. You know, if you need to bench press 225, then you need to be trying to bench press heavy and bench press 225. You know, that should be a part of your training. Um, if you need to be able to run 400 meters, you should at least be running 10 meters and trying to bring that up to 15. Um, things like that. You know, start. You've got to start shooting for for what you want. Sure, there's transferring things, but you know, you need to be a little specific too. And you need to train specifically for for strength for those things that are strength uh, specific. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you if you're if, if you're seeking that, you know, through traditional Western hypertrophy type bodybuilding style training, you're, you're probably not going to have, have near the success you would if you, um, if you, again you got very specific for for how your you know the trajectory is towards those things. Uh, in other in other words, don't go and do the bodybuilding thing. Well, well, today is bench press chest or whatever. So. Yeah. You know, you just pick some random number and throw it on the bench and just, you know, do it with a bunch of forced reps. I mean, that that really, after a certain point, is not really going to get you anywhere. I mean, it's like Lonnie was saying, certainly that would if you were a complete newbie to training and stuff like that. But at a certain point, that's going to yield very – I mean, it will yield <clears throat> um, progress, but on a much, much lesser scale than it yeah. would be, again, if you, you know, specifically – Designed it so that when you go, went in to do a bench press uh, session, you had to, you know you knew exactly what percentage you were at and uh, the rep ranges you had to hit that day and, and your target mm-hmm. for that day, and not just kind of hypothetically just pulled something out of your ass and just start doing it. That's, for the best sports nutrition information on the planet, make plans to attend the eighth annual ISSN conference and expo, June 23rd to 25th. 2011 at the Westin Las Vegas Hotel, Casino, and Spa. We'll have the latest on creatine, beta-alanine, protein, nutrient timing, and much, much more. So for more information, go to www.vissn.org. Um, you know, maybe something like, you know, if, I mean, even going in, yeah, I think we're all in agreement right now. You need to burn a lot of calories. And, you know, EDT and, and things like that, even circuit training. I mean, that's what I didn't know a thing when I started, and I bought a weeder bench, and I followed the frickin' circuit training that came with it, and I lost 85 pounds in three months. You know? um, but, um, you know, I was moving a lot. You know, I was essentially just walking all day because I was working construction, which is, 
you know, just self-maximal, just all day moving. But, um, uh, you know, target, you know, if you've got an hour, take 15, 20 minutes and use that 15 or 20 minutes to get stronger, lift heavy things. And then use the other 75% of your workout to just burn calories. And, you know, EDT is a great thing because then you're, you're kind of getting two things done at once. Uh, right. You're doing some strength type training, quite a bit of volume, and burning a lot of calories. So one one of the things that I've been really attracted to is kettlebell stuff, um, and I have started doing. Uh, I can't do it for you know the prescribed length of time, but I have started doing like the Viking Warrior conditioning, the 15 seconds on, 15 seconds off, with the 16 kilo kettlebell snatches. Uh, so I guess that's something that you would think would be a good thing for me for the calorie burning aspect. Oh yeah, you know it sounds a lot like Tabata type stuff, you know, and that's been pretty proven. You know, high intensity interval training. It's going to help. Yeah, I do that. I do car fishing, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I really like kettlebells. I mean, I think they're they're a tool that can be used correctly. I don't think they're the end-all, be-all that some people say. I mean, I know Pat himself didn't get a 600-pound deadlift by picking up a 56-kilo kettlebell, you know? <laughs> but, uh, which some people will try to say. But, um, you know, yeah, as far as a calorie burn, yeah, it's a great way to get you moving, and if you enjoy it, that's huge. Cool. You know? Yeah, I like the whole idea of breaking up the two the two things because you know it's very separate. You know, I, I don't like Lonnie knows this about me. I don't like mixing things up. Like if you're going to do some running and calorie burning and aerobic type stuff, keep it very very specific. I, I, keep them away from each other. You know, what I mean, don't don't mix them up too much. You always hear people talking about uh, you know lifting with the purposes of achieving seven different goals at the same time and. That's probably doable from a from an overall fitness profile perspective, but again, from the perspective that you're talking about, I, or most people certainly in bodybuilding, strength training, whatever, I think you should keep the things as separate as possible and look at them as such. You know, look at them as two different entities, not not you know two things within the same pool, but two separate entities themselves. And and I mean, eventually they'll meet in the middle, but you know, as you're actually going through and practicing them, keep them very separate. Yeah, I, Rob, you know, I, I agree with that to a large extent. I think if you, if you do choose a meso cycle, like your first period of a couple of months, you want to work on general conditioning, like a combination of strength and, and fat loss, then stuff like, you know, EDT or using weights instead of, you know, cardio or something, using weights as your cardio, I guess I should say. I tend to like that kind of stuff as part of those initial conditioning phase, you know, get yourself fit strong all at once but re, you know I, I tend to think if 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 you do too much of that training simultaneously if you're trying to work on aerobic conditioning and power at the same time you know you're diluting the ultimate uh, progress in in either i mean there's some interesting military research where they had people looking at maximal strength and maximal you know endurance uh, ability you know vo2 max and things and when they tried both they didn't make the strength gains of the strength only group and they didn't make the cardio gains of the cardio-only group. You know what I mean? So I think if you do mesh the two, I like to do those as part of sort of an initial get sprinting toward you know a, a program kind of thing, a conditioning mesocycle. But I know people have different people have different opinions on that. So well, I definitely agree with that too. I mean, obviously, like that's what I was saying. Like uh, for an overall fitness profile, for sure. And I mean, if you're coming from nowhere or from a very poor position, then yeah, you want to. You know, get get just overall as fit as possible, as well conditioned, and have that base. But 
once you achieve that initial uh, that kind of base, you have to start yeah separating the two a little bit. Yeah, and I mean I I gotta stress again just walking. You know, if you were to, I, I guarantee if we got you in there doing two to three days of strength-based training, just looking to get stronger with squats, benches, deadlifts, presses, and then just had you walk a lot, you're going to lose weight. Right. <laughs> um, you know, because you're carrying around a lot of man, you know, so just walking is burning a lot of calories. I mean, I know that's when I go to lose weight, it's like, okay, I'll wake up in the morning and walk for an hour. Yeah. yeah pretty well, quick. Make, I, we, I've change. just started doing that again. Um, and kind of back to like what Lonnie was saying, is it possible that by doing walking, which is a very, very low-intensity exercise that isn't going to interfere with strength gains very much, I can up my calorie burn while not interfering with my strength gains? Could that be the result of that? Uh, well, I, I think that's one of the best parts, right? I mean, if the whole idea is you look at those fasted, you know, I like to do it before breakfast kind of thing because, you know, you're no, because if you eat a bunch of carbs first, your blood insulin goes up, your carbs go up, and, you know, you're kind of burning the carbs you just ate. But if you want to attack body fat per se, I'm a big fan of that sort of moderate approach. Now, I wouldn't say stroll. I mean, you know, do walk at a reasonable pace. But, if, man, if you start panting because you're, you know, you're a bigger man, then you, you got to back off and you do, you should practice, you know, go a little slower. I would suggest just out of, um, you know, safety reasons. People who do fasting cardio, if they're not used to it, have a little bit of Gatorade with you or something that if you do get shaky or, you know, low blood sugar or something like that, that, you know, you don't suffer too much from that. But I, I love that approach. And it, it's like Phil says, you know, walking matters. It's like Rob says, do it separate from your training. And because I've seen actually some stuff that guys who do intense uh, cardio it affects a later day workout they don't have the same intensity later in the day and that that didn't seem to be true with women which i thought was interesting and i, I don't have the authors of that paper but i thought that was very interesting and i think it depends on your physical makeup too but you know if you're a strength guy you know i yeah i i, I my workouts are like sacred i wouldn't want to go do interval sprints all morning long if i had a, a, a you know a very sacred squat session coming up in the afternoon don't mess with my squats so i mean in reality i mean i think you know it could actually just walking can be you know it's a calorie burn it's not going to affect your workout yeah it could help it you know if you're just walking it actually could aid recovery in this and that uh, oh yeah good point it, it so, usually does with me I actually found that, you know, very kind of hardcore uh, endurance cardio workouts one or twice a week, if you're eating enough and sleeping enough, shouldn't really affect your strength gains at all. Again, if you're keeping them very separate, like Lonnie says, you're not doing it on the same day you're supposed to be heavy squatting or something. But, <clears throat> you know, going all out, busting all out for cardio once or twice a week, I think is actually beneficial for a strength athlete in a lot of ways. I'm going to add two cents onto that too, that one of the things that I tend to do, because I'm going to be doing this over the next six months or so, uh, is I'll start off with pre-breakfast cardio for 45 to 60 minutes, you know, and I usually start with 45 just for behavioral reasons, you know, because that's getting up earlier and all that kind of stuff. And I know not everybody can do that. And then after about a month, I up at 15 minutes. So I go from 45 to 60. And after another month, I might even try to up it to 75. But now we're starting to get kind of ridiculous as far as total amount of time spent. But what I, what I do about that phase in the middle too, once again, after a couple months, you get that behavior down of the walking is 
I like to do some high intensity interval stuff at the end of certain gym workouts, you know. So like if I'm if I'm doing some upper body work, I mean this would never happen on leg day, but if I'm doing some upper body work, I'll hop on a bike and I'll do like six or eight, you know, 30 second all out sprints because there's some really cool research coming out of I think it's some of the Canadian labs uh, suggesting that you can become, you know, a 16 or 18 percent better fat burner in just a matter of a few weeks by doing that. Because what you, what you're not getting with the morning walks is you're not improving your aerobic ability. You're not building mitochondrial furnaces, you know, throughout your body to really torch fat. So the high intensity stuff, like Rob said, you do it twice a week. You don't overdo it. I mean, hell, I can do half a dozen sprints on a bike in just you know 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes or something. And at the end of my workout, what's that? Well, yeah, I, I suppose anything that was intense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. And I, I like, I, I agree with Lonnie's approach. What I do is I don't let that mess with my strength training. I'm, I put strength endurance stuff on the end. So like just now I just started doing like farmer's walks and stuff like that again. And I'll, so they're the last thing I do. Um, and I'll go grab farmers and run 100 foot, and then put them down, rest for a second, and run 100 foot. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna help, but they're not my meat and potatoes of getting stronger and getting lean muscle. But they're they're attacking that you know a little bit of strength endurance and lighten up my metabolic furnace and everything else. What we're talking about right now, I, I think, is just the most clever way to continue your interest in strength. And then create a time of the day when you're in a different hormonal state, you know, low insulin state, and you can sort of do a fat-specific calorie drain. Because um, a lot of the people that I talk about are like, oh, sprints don't make you lose any muscle. And, well, up to a point, because let's face it, somebody who does lots of cardio and lots of lifting, they're going to look like a cross trainer. And I can almost guarantee you they're not going to be 9% fat at 200 pounds. You know, they're probably just not. So... I mean, the whole walking thing, you're the one that turned me on to it. This was back in my early teenage days when you came out with that article. And uh, at that point, I was doing jogging for, say, an hour in the morning, and I changed to throwing on a vest and walking, and I broke past that plateau and actually got leaner. So, I mean, I, that made me a... There's all that research out there that says it sucks, but you put it in the real world and it works. Well, you know, there's a lot of research that you can, I mean, you can demonstrate this very easily. I've done it with students a hundred times is if you're fasted and you walk uphill on a treadmill or you do a light walk jog or a brisk walk, you can watch that you're burning more fat than anything else. And if you look at the research, you can actually find studies on fat balance, you know, that you're burning more fat directly. Um, but again, for a strength guy, you know, like we all are, I, I'm a huge fan of it. I don't want to be a cross trainer. I just don't. David, we got a lot of road noise again. You got a window down or something? Is, is that better? That is right there. Yep. Oh, is it better? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sorry about that. I don't know what's causing that. Yeah, that was like a tornado. <laughs> Any other topics? Uh, I've got a lot more topics. I just don't want to interrupt anybody. No, go, go, man. Uh, deadlifting is causing a lot of pain, uh, both all the time in my back and then also actually while I'm doing it, especially on the right side of my low back. Whenever I start to get up into what are heavier for me weights, it starts to hurt again. Um, 
And I'm wondering if this is because I'm using a combination grip. I'd say no. Um, you know, I can, I've pulled 905 out of the rack with the combination grip and never had a problem. Um, I, 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 the first thing I'd look at is how tight are your hamstrings? Are you able to actually get into a neutral spine position or get that lumbar into flexion? Um, is the first thing I'd look at, or is a big guy like you that's been kind of immobile quite a bit, likely has really short hamstrings that are tugging on that, you know, pelvic bone and, and just causing you to be in, in a, in a bad low back position. Well, I've really, I know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I've got my training partner, uh, I have him ask me, okay, to check my low back, you know, say, hey, is everything looking good? Um, and I know that my mobility and flexibility have increased a lot in the past, yeah. the, you know, the past year. I mean, I can do, I can do sets of five overhead squats now. I know that's not a big deal for you guys, but it's like, for me to have the mobility to do overhead squats, I'm like ecstatic about that. Yeah. So... I think that my low back is looking good in position-wise when I'm doing the deadlift. But, man, it just pulls really hard on that lower right side. Yeah, I would that'd be the first thing I'd look at. Try it. You know, put on some straps and go double overhand or just go double overhand and see if it works. Yeah, I would Have you ever tried doing, like, light speed squats before you deadlift? No, I've never done that. Try it. Okay. Do you like box squats or something like that, or speed squats of so, or you know pause squats seated at the bottom with like lightweight, like thirty forty percent of your max. Do multiple okay. sets of that and concentrate concentrate on mechanics and really work the stretch. Okay. And then go to deadlifts immediately after. I was just going to be a party pooper and suggest too. Don't be afraid to talk to an athletic trainer or a physical therapist too, because they have they have tests that they can do you know, to help identify and diagnose certain things too. So you don't want to take this onto yourself too much and, and, you know, I mean, you could have a, you could have a very real orthopedic issue and I, this is, I know this is just the healthcare nerd in me, but you know, it's really worth it. They can do tests. They can identify things that you, you and your training partner just can't, you know. I mean, okay. maybe go on, even go on like Gray Cook's website and find somebody that does FMS in your area and get screened. You know, it ain't going to cost you that okay. much. Um, another thing that kind of relates to uh, deadlifts and squats, uh, for somebody who's basically been a couch here their whole life, uh, aside from just stuff like crunches and whatever, I really feel like my abs are keeping me from being strong in other areas. It's like if I'm doing a seated press, overhead press, I'm a lot stronger than if I'm doing a standing military press. I can feel that I'm not projecting power down through my core to the heels. How do I get my core stronger to be able to be, say, a better military presser? Keep standing up in military pressing. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Specificity. It's a lot harder. You know, you're using that, you're trying to learn how to use your whole body at once. And I mean, the biggest fallacy that I hate in this world is just all the freaking crunches and crap people do. I mean, they have their place, but. The true job of your core is not to put you in flexion of your, well, I hate the word core, too, because people usually just think of abdominals, and the core actually wraps around your whole body, and your erectors and all that are part of it. But, um, you know, it's to keep you upright and stop unwanted motion, and that's what you're doing by squatting and by pushing weight over your head and stuff like that. Um, cool. You know, add in some targeted moves to where you do planks. You do 
You know, I like suitcase holds where you'll just pick up a heavy weight in one hand and just hold it for time. And you just try and stay upright. Once that starts to break, drop the weight, things like that. I found planks really great. And, and you know, I, I wanted to just add something. I'm sick and tired of people telling me that I need to work on my core. And I'm like, you know what? If you're squatting 700 pounds raw, your core is not a problem. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm just kind of furthering what Phil's saying. You know, if you want to become good at something, do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like, you know, if you're having problems with the standing part of it, then then just as, as inconvenient as it might seem, just keep doing that. Yeah. Well, that kind of brings me to my next question was for the for the goals that I mentioned, do I need a lot of accessory work? I mean, if my goal is to bench 225, do I ever need to be doing any flies? That's a good question. No. I think in, no, not really. I mean, in time, you know, right now, I don't think you do. You know, in time, when you're getting up to heavy, heavy weights and you obviously have a weakness, right now, you're the weakness. Right. You know, so right now, just keep doing basic moves. Um, like, you know, for me, sure, I've got weaknesses in my deadlift that i got to address. You know, but that's apples and oranges. So, you know, until you can purposely identify why you need to be doing flies, don't do flies. Okay. But, you know, accessory work in general, that's the kind of thing where you're going to have different coaches with different opinions. Again, not flies per se, but, you know, what percentage of my work should be accessory work? And you're going to have people with different opinions. And I I think like Phil and Rob are saying, too, it shouldn't be a real big percentage of what you're doing early on, you know, or during the early stages of a comeback, because I know you're not a beginner. It also depends what kind of presser you are, but you won't, you know, whether you're a chest presser or more of a shoulder triceps presser. Yeah. And and that also goes to whether it's genetic either way or whether how it is that you're actually performing the exercise. Elbows in, elbows out. Hey, we got that road noise again. Hey, we got that road noise going on here. Ah. Uh, there we go. Um, but you're not going to be able to determine any of those type of things until you kind of get, get to know, you know, what it is you're doing. Like, like what's the fills right now, you are, you're the weakness. You figure out what kind of pressure you are, how you perform the lift. And then after, after a while, then you can make those determinations. Like, you know, whether you are a chest presser and flies would be beneficial in, in, in some sort of capacity. I would say as a general overview question. No, I don't think it's really worth it to do that kind of stuff. That's the kind of thing where an athletic trainer or physical therapist might be able to point you to certain muscle imbalances or something, too. Again, you know, with machines and with tests that you just can't do on your own. Uh, because, you know, there could be something underlying orthopedically that you just want to address. And that might require a little rehab slash accessory work. You know what I mean? But Right. Well, I, I did have a shoulder, a really, really bad shoulder problem last year. And uh, I fixed it basically with a... Uh, Swinging club bells and doing um, and doing uh, face pulls, and my shoulder feels great now. So, but another thing is, I, I'm in I'm in only about 45 minutes away from uh, Mark Ripito's place, so I thought about going down there and uh, you know going in and maybe getting some lessons from those guys. Go down, see Mark. Mark will yell 15, 20 pounds off you in one day. <laughs> I like Ripito. I like him. Yeah. So, 
No, yeah, he's got a great group down there, and you know, if you've got a problem with your deadlift or something like that, I couldn't, I, I couldn't recommend another place better aside from myself. But uh, <laughs> so, well, what about diet, guys? Uh, I've tried a lot of different diet strategies over the last year. I've done the Warrior Diet, which I actually like. I don't know that it's the best for my goals. But it's something that I might later on adapt as a like a long term type of thing. But basically, one thing I know about myself, I have to stay away from carbs. Um, if I uh, if I eat if I were to you know go out tonight and eat a plate of rice, I would feel ten years older tomorrow morning. Um, as it is now, I'm basically eating super low on the food chain. I'm eating beef. I'm eating chicken, fish and broccoli and asparagus and salad. That's basically it, and eggs. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I mean, I also think it's a good idea. I This was our topic last week, the med- metabolic flexibility. I used to be in the same boat as you, you know, where I, I just could not handle cars. I wouldn't throw them out of the picture totally or later. Um, you know, I can handle them any time now. Um, I think, yeah, for now, I think the low-carb route's good to go. You're carrying all this extra body fat. Likely you were, you know, on the verge or in metabolic syndrome and everything else, um, as heavy as you were. So, yeah, I mean, you need to get that, that insulin sensitivity fixed and, and all that. But uh, I yeah, like I, paleo-ish meat and veggies diet route. I think there's a lot to that. And I, I think what what people need to do is sort of come to some balance. You know, uh, once Charles actually said this, and I just thought it was a very simple way to to uh, approach this. But if if you eat too many carbs, you tend to get sort of carb drunk, you know, <laughs> kind of fatigued and, and sleepy. But if you don't get enough carbs, you feel drained and fatigued. So people are going to have – people need to come up with some – sort of a, approach to that. And that's one of the reasons I was really interested in temporal nutrition, which is the idea of having some, you know, controlled uh, bits of carbs throughout the morning, slow acting, you know, low glycemic carbs, rather than dropping them completely, or certainly having some kind of carbs right after you work out. Uh, people have different opinions on that too, but I would try some type of carb control. And it sounds like that's what you're doing, you know, and then monitor progress. Uh, you got to remember too; it's not just the type of carb or the carb versus fat, but there is a volume issue here too. I don't like a aggressive, you know, super restriction. I mean, even when I diet um, for a, a bodybuilding show or something, I don't start really looking at big time restriction until like the last month of a twenty week diet or something, you know. But eventually, you got to, you know, it, it's a good thing to keep a log. I mean, I know that's a simple idea, but actually keep a log and write it down because what you think you're consuming may not be what you're really consuming. So keep a log and you can actually analyze your own uh, diet. If you get the portion control, I mean, the portion uh, estimates right, you know, like your hands of three or four ounce cut of meat, the palm of your hand, you know, your fist is a cup, you know, you do some quick and dirty estimates. You can actually go on mypyramid.gov. And there's a free diet analyzer on there. And I think you could find some other ones too, but you know, that's sort of a legitimate government version. And you can actually get a, get a handle on how many calories you're eating and what percent carbs versus fats you're eating. I really like to get some numbers, you know, and even if they're just ballpark, at least it, it, there's some numbers to go on instead of some vague or subjective idea 
about what you're eating, you know? So I've got numbers for you. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, right now I'm keeping it at, uh, 2000 calories with roughly about 160 grams of protein a day and the rest of it coming from fat and then, uh, mainly fibrous carbs from strictly from things like, you know, spinach, broccoli, asparagus, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Some people are fans. Lots of fat in my diet. Yeah. Some people are fans of eating uh, protein beyond needs just because it's filling and it tends not to become body fat. So if you're a big man, you could probably eat more like 200 grams of protein a day or something like that. Yeah, and now it depends. I mean, you know, if you have a family history of renal disease and stuff, that starts to open up a little uh, can of worms there. But even, you know, there's a lot of controversy over protein. It's one of the things I look at in the lab and um, we've been looking at groups of weight trainers with really high protein diets, 250 grams a day for a decade or so, and we can't see any markers of, you know, renal damage and all that kind of stuff. I just don't see a lot of downside, especially if you know that you're overweight and you have you're carrying extra body fat, then protein is filling. It's more filling and you know satisfying than other nutrients. And it also raises your metabolic rate about 20% or so, even 25% compared to just 6 or 8%, which is the thermic effect of, of carbs and fats. So a little bit of extra protein can be filling and keep your metabolism on its toes. I wouldn't cut my calories too low because then you're you know, you, your thyroid uh, will fall, your basal metabolic rate will fall. And I think a lot of people need to realize that your basal metabolic rate, that's like 60 to 70% of all the calories you burn every day. It's not so much the time spent in the gym. So, uh, you know, you don't want to mess with your basal metabolic rate. And that's why some people, they try to decide how often they need to refeed a little, you know. Like I wouldn't flatline 2,000 calories a day every day. But, you know, you could consider things at least like maybe I'll eat a gram of protein per pound, of my, what I would consider my lean body weight, you know, or get yourself, make sure you're getting about 30 grams of fiber a day or even 40. Um, and it sounds like you're, you're probably close to that, but you know, if you don't know the number, figure that out. Cause protein and carbo, protein and fiber rather, those are the tricks that a lot of dietitians would use in a weight management setting. Cool. Yeah, I'd definitely go with a bit more protein. I mean, I wouldn't go with one gram per body not body weight, but with you. Yeah, that'd be a lot. Some more. Well, yeah, that's why a dietitian uses what's called a gram per pound of lean body weight or a gram per pound of adjusted body weight, which is usually, uh, you know, your if you know your body composition, it would be, you know, a very lean body weight plus about 25% or, you know, somewhere between where you are and where you want to be. You know, pretend that's your body weight. 160. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, then you can you can eat above that, or at least a lot of people can. I can't tell you, you know, prescriptively, but a lot of people can eat above that a little bit and just take advantage of the fact that protein, you know, is satisfying. It raises your metabolic rate. I mean, there was a review, I think it was in 2006, by a guy named Krieger and his colleagues, and they actually did a meta-analysis, which is a study of many other studies, and they suggested that lower-carb Higher protein diets are more effective at fixing body composition than other approaches like low fat. So I would just get a handle on, you know, monitor is what I, all I'm saying. Log and monitor on a semi-regular basis 
how many grams of fat, how many grams of carbs, maybe the percentage of each, how many grams per pound of protein. Protein is usually like dosed per pound, you know, like we were saying, instead of as a percentage. But you could look at it as a percentage too. I mean, the the AMDR from the federal government, acceptable macronutrient distribution range, is 35%, up to 35% of your calories. So even the federal government says, hey, you know, don't see any big problems eating up to 35% of all your calories from protein. And for someone eating quite a bit, that's a lot. So anyway, yeah, lean meats and fruits and vegetables. That's kind of the secret. And then carbs, according to your energy levels, you know, that's good general advice, I think. Maybe, maybe one more, one more uh, question. Uh, one more question. Um, this might seem premature, I can't, obviously cannot, cannot do uh, pull-ups yet. So what can I be doing now other than pull-downs, heavy pull-downs, to prepare me for when my body weight gets to the point where I can start doing pull-ups? Am I already doing everything I need to do, just keep doing pull-downs and various rowing movements? Mainly I'd say deadlifts and rows. Um, you know, I, I was forced to take a break from chin for about six months doing my shoulder injury and it didn't do any kind of variation of pull down or anything like that just did rows and and such and i still was able to go in at the body weight of like 270 and knock out 16 chin so something would happen in there um so yeah i mean uh, there's transfer from that stuff i would i would do heavy bent over rows and heavy dumbbell rows and heavy deadlifts i mean you don't realize how much lat is used in even a squat or a deadlift until you strain one and then try to do that. Um, <laughs> the, the lats are involved in a whole lot of stuff. It's pretty much the second largest muscle in your body. And uh, as long as you know how to use it, they're getting worked. I just read a very interesting paper that said that flexed arm hangs, so not the act of chinning, but holding yourself there for as long as you can that might be a good burnout kind of thing to do after you do some rows or some pull-downs too because the article said that that had a lot of transfer to one repetition maximum, you know, again, with the back and the lats and the upper body in general. So if you can't go up and down, flexed arm hangs, you know, they do seem to transfer pretty well. Are you anywhere near the ability to do a chin? No, no, we're close. Okay. Um, okay, well, I was going to say, um, you could start doing some negatives or something, but I'd hate to see you, like, if you're 150 pounds away from it, then that's, like, kind of like doing a 150-pound super maximal. Yeah, and, you know, and the negatives might not transfer quite as well as, because the hangs are more concentric, you know, like, shortening contractions, hold it, pull it up. People tend to, who do lots of negatives, they tend to get strong mostly just at the negative part of the movement, right? You know, you know so. Well, based on what I can do pull-down wise, I would say that probably I'm going to have to get my body down to pretty close to, uh, at least as my strength doesn't come up, but what it is now, have to get my body weight down to probably around 2 to 10 before I can start doing chins. Well, it, I, I wouldn't put yourself there yet. I think by the time if you just keep training hard with big heavy moves, those, your lats are going to get stronger. So. Cool. Okay. I think we're out of time then. Yeah, that was a good one. That was good. Lots of good questions. I think case studies like this, you know, even just to banter around some general info, uh, prescriptive or not, it's, it's informational stuff that can, I, I think, you know, we're not just helping you get information, but we're helping anybody who's listening think, oh, you know, that's a good idea or that's, you know, that's a tidbit of advice. So, 
Okay, sweet guys. guys I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Apologize for my illness, guys. Oh, there's no apology for you, Rob. We're used to you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, come on, the mighty fortress. It's <laughs> mighty, uh, the gotta... mighty fortress is laid up in bed right now. There you go. Yeah. Get to, let's get to feel another day. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thank and, you. Uh, see you later, Lonnie, and see everybody next week. All right, take care, guys. Hey, Iron Radio listeners, this is John Mike. I just wanted to tell you about the American Society of Exercise Physiologists is pleased to announce the 2011 National Meeting on September 22nd, 23rd, and 24th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. This will actually be the fourth time the National Conference has been held here in Albuquerque. This three-day event will be held at the Radisson Hotel and Water Park, New Mexico Sports and Wellness, and the University of New Mexico, and partly hosted by the Exercise Science Program here at the University of New Mexico. Go to www.ascp.org to learn more about this exciting conference. Thanks so much. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like Iron Radio, if you like what we do, uh, the education, interviewing uh, industry personalities, or many of the pro bodybuilders or coaches that we've had in the past, uh, please just click on the donate button at www.ironradio.org and make a donation. We've had some great donations from people that have kept us going. Thank you so much. Uh, so please visit uh, the website, click on the donation button, or if you like, uh, and it's a similar situation, buy some Iron Radio cool stuff. We've got t-shirts and mugs and things like that, and those things help support the site and keep us on the air. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.